All right, Wrestling with Theology, this is Pastor Doug Minton standing in the confessional corner this week, and we're still trudging our way through the fifth article, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. This week, we're looking at paragraphs 82 to 96, where we find out truly that there is no peace of conscience in good works. Now, that does not mean we do not do good works. It just means that we cannot find the peace that passes all understanding through the works that we do. As Melanchthon will continue to talk about, we have nothing but doubts as to whether our works are good enough. But we also have the faith that every work we do in Christ is a good work. So we're going to start in paragraph 82 of Apology Article 5, again reading from the Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions from Concordia Publishing House. In this way, good works ought to follow faith. Yet people who cannot believe and be sure that they are freely forgiven for Christ's sake, that they freely have a reconciled God for Christ's sake, use works in a far different way. When they see the works of saints, they judge in a human way that saints have merited forgiveness of sins and grace through these works. So they imitate them, thinking that through similar works they merit forgiveness of sins and grace. They think that through these works they appease God's wrath and are counted righteous for the sake of these works. We condemn this godless opinion about works. In the first place, it hides Christ's glory when people offer to God these works as a price and atonement. This honor, due to Christ alone, is credited to our works. Second, they do not find peace of conscience in these works. In true terrors, heaping up works upon works, they eventually despair because they find no work pure, important, and precious enough. The law always accuses and produces wrath. Third, such persons never attain the knowledge of God. For in anger they run from God, who judges and afflicts them. They never believe that they are heard. But faith shows God's presence, since it is certain that God freely forgives and hears us. All right, here is our theme for this week. They do not find peace of conscience in these works. How many people do you know that have tried and tried and tried to do better and better and better, but end up falling further and further behind where they were? Seems like the harder they work, the more messed up everything gets. That's human nature. That's the way things work in this fallen world. We try and we try and we try to get higher rungs on the ladder, end up sliding back down to the bottom of the ladder and having each of the rungs hit us in the butt on the way down. And so we despair because we're never going to get above a certain level. And that is the problem with works. If you think that your works will get you favor with God, then you have to have some really good works. But if your works aren't maybe okay, or even just good, yeah, that's not going to be good enough. There's always going to be doubt and despair because you're never really certain. Your conscience can't have peace that you've been good enough because nothing we do in this life is good enough. Melanchthon goes on in paragraphs 85 to 89. Furthermore, this godless opinion about works always has existed in the world. 
The heathen had sacrifices derived from the fathers. They imitated their works. They did not maintain their faith, but thought that the works were an atonement and price by which God would be reconciled to them. The people in the law, the Israelites, imitated sacrifices with the opinion that they would appease God by means of these works, so to say, ex opere operato. We see here how seriously the prophets rebuke the people. Psalm 50, verse 8. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. In Jeremiah 7:22, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. Such passages do not condemn works, which God certainly had commanded as outward exercises in this government. They condemned the godless opinion that people thought that by their works they appeased God's wrath and so cast away faith. Because no works eased the conscience, new works, in addition to God's commands, were made up from time to time. The people of Israel had seen the prophets sacrificing on high places. Besides, the examples of the saints very greatly moved the minds of people who hoped to obtain grace by similar works, just as these saints received it. Therefore, the people began with remarkable zeal to imitate their work, in order that by such a work they might merit forgiveness of sins, grace, and righteousness. But the prophets had been sacrificing on high places, not so that they might merit forgiveness of sins and grace by these works, but because they taught on these places. So they presented a testimony of their faith there. The people had heard that Abraham had sacrificed his son. Therefore they also, in order to appease God by a most cruel and difficult work, put their sons to death. But Abraham did not sacrifice his son with the opinion that this work was a price and atoning work by which he was counted righteous. In a similar way, the Lord's Supper was instituted in the church. So by remembering Christ's promises about which we are taught in the sacrament, faith would be strengthened in us, and we would publicly confess our faith and proclaim Christ's benefits, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But our adversaries contend that the Mass is a work that justifies us by the outward work, ex opere operato, and removes the guilt and liability to punishment in those for whom it is celebrated. That's what Gabriel Beale writes. Here we have again pointing out that the godless opinion of works reconciling us to God has been here since the very beginning. In fact, it is what the original sin truly was. It was a way not to appease God, but to make ourselves like God. Therefore, we were appeased because there was something amiss even though there was nothing amiss at the time. But then the heathens have their sacrifices and all these other things going on, coming from the fathers, coming from the true faith of Christianity. But they do not have the faith. They just have the works. Therefore, they can never be good enough. This is like Acts 17, as Paul is in Athens, and he sees the altar to an unknown god that the Athenians are so religious that they have an altar that is dedicated to any god that they might not already have an altar to. And so Paul uses that altar to begin preaching to the people of Athens the great and saving faith in Jesus Christ, the one true God. But the end of paragraph 89, our adversaries contend that the Mass, the Lord's Supper, is a work that justifies us by the outward work. This is what Gabriel Bill writes. Gabriel Bill was one of those great scholastic writers in the late Middle Ages that with him and Peter Lombard and 
Dun Scotus and a couple of others, they really formed the core of what the Roman Church taught before the Council of Trent. A lot of it was codified in the Council of Trent and then later on in Vatican I and II, but these guys were the pillars that held up the medieval church and were really what the reformers were going after. So this is the idea that you do the Lord's Supper, you partake of the Lord's Supper, and that forgives your sins by you doing it, which is one of the reasons why the Roman church had communion every day and still in many places still offer the mass every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, so that it works for more people to attend. But it's that point right there, so that they might attend, that they might be there. And by being there, then they receive forgiveness of sins. Not because they have received Christ's body and blood that gives them the forgiveness of sins, having been given to them by his sacrifice on the cross. No, it's by them walking in the door and hearing the prayers and seeing the host elevated, seeing the wine poured into the chalice and maybe going up and receiving, maybe not. Unfortunately, with the idea of ex opere operato and just by doing the outward work, even just showing up for Mass, not even receiving it, can still count for the forgiveness of sins. Now, granted, yes, you may receive the forgiveness of sins just by showing up for church, even if you do not have the Lord's Supper or do not take the Lord's Supper when it's offered. Because no one is going to be consigned to the realms of hell because, well, I'm sorry, you haven't received communion in the last two weeks. No, that is not the way God works. And especially we see this in churches like the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, where we have the practice of closed communion, where, yes, those not of our fellowship, those who are not in doctrinal agreement with us, we don't allow them to the altar. Not because we don't like them, not because we disagree with them, but truly because there is the disagreement that we are not united. We cannot come together in union to receive Holy Communion. But you go through the divine service at Our Savior Lutheran Church here in Milford, Illinois, and you're, say, Baptist, or you're non-denominational, or even Roman Catholic, and you hear me at the beginning of the divine service say, as a called and ordained servant of the word, I announce to you the grace of God and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You can put your amen on there that your sins are forgiven. It's not that your sins are forgiven if you come to communion as well. No, your sins are forgiven there. And it is in that place where we have it. So no, you do not have the outward work of receiving communion being what saves you. What saves you is your faith in the words of forgiveness. Faith that you have a reconciled God, not because of you, not because of your works, but because of Jesus. So as we get into paragraphs 90 through 96, the 
the adversaries, the Roman theologians who wrote the confutation, wanted to stack up church father after church father after church father supporting their case. And Mike says, okay, we can do that too. And we'll briefly do it because it's so obvious to anybody who actually takes the time to honestly read it. So paragraphs 90 to 96. Anthony, Bernard, Dominic, Francis, and other Holy Fathers selected a certain kind of life either for the sake of study or for other useful exercises. In the meantime, they believed that by faith they were counted righteous for Christ's sake and that God was gracious to them, not because of their own exercises. But the multitude since then has imitated not the faith of the fathers, but their example without faith. By such works, the multitude thought they merited forgiveness of sins, grace, and righteousness. They did not believe that they received these freely on account of Christ as the atoning sacrifice. The world judges that all works are an atonement by which God is appeased. They are a price by which we are counted righteous. It does not believe that Christ is the atonement. It does not believe that through faith we are freely counted righteous for Christ's sake. Since works cannot ease the conscience, other works are continually chosen. New rites are performed, new vows are made, and new orders of monks are formed beyond God's command in order that some great work may be sought that may be set against God's wrath and judgment. Contrary to scripture, the adversaries hold up these godless opinions about works. They say these things about our works. They are an atonement, they merit forgiveness of sins and grace, and we are counted righteous before God by them, and not through faith, for Christ's sake, as the atonement. What is this other than to deny Christ the honor of mediator and atoning sacrifice? We believe and teach that good works must be done. The fulfilling of the law ought to follow faith. Nevertheless, we give Christ his own honor. We believe and teach that through faith, for Christ's sake, we are counted righteous before God. We are not counted righteous because of works without Christ as mediator. We do not merit forgiveness of sins, grace, and righteousness by works. We cannot set our works against God's wrath and justice. Works cannot overcome the terrors of sin. But the terrors of sin are overcome through faith alone. Only Christ the mediator is to be presented by faith against God's wrath and judgment. If anyone thinks differently, he does not give Christ due honor. Christ has been set forth so that he might be in atonement, that through him we might have access to the Father. We are speaking now about the righteousness through which we approach God, not humans, but by which we receive grace and peace of conscience. Conscience, however, cannot be eased before God unless through faith alone. Faith is certain that God, for Christ's sake, is reconciled to us, according to Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. This is because justification is only a matter freely promised for Christ's sake. Therefore, it is always received before God through faith alone. All right, so we have the fathers brought forward, Anthony, Bernard, Dominic, Francis, and other holy fathers. What is the one thing these guys have in common? They all established monasteries. All of them have monastic orders named after them. Why did they do it? Well, some of them did it for the sake of study, to prepare pastors for the churches. Some did it for just ascetic exercises. But none of them believed that by doing those things, they were meriting forgiveness of sins. They did it because they wanted to train their body, like Paul talks about with Timothy. Now, train so that he's not seen to be disqualified because of there's something being wrong in him. So yes, they are doing good things, trying to better themselves 
but not in the eyes of God, in the eyes of themselves, because they firmly believe that by faith they were counted righteous for Christ's sake, and that God was gracious to them because of his mercy, not because of their works. And it continues on throughout the rest that the world is what the Roman church was following. That the rationale and the logic of the world that if we do something wrong, we have to overcome it with something right. We do something bad, we have to outgood the bad. The only problem is you and I can't outgood our bad. Romans 7, Paul says, the, the good that I want to do, I do not do, but it is the evil that I do not want that I do. Why? Because even when I do good, evil lays close beside. Even our good works, as we've seen in previous weeks, are imperfect. They are not pure. Therefore, we cannot have peace of conscience that our works are what bring us into a closer relationship with God, that reconcile us with our Heavenly Father. No, no, no. We can only be reconciled with our Heavenly Father if He has made Him our Father. And that doesn't happen because you and I ask. It doesn't happen because you and I do a checklist of things in order to become a child of the Heavenly Father. No. He brings you to the font, baptizes you, adopts you as his son or daughter, and gives you the promise of everlasting life, promise of the forgiveness of sins, of his grace and mercy. This is what the Reformers had the biggest time speaking about, which is why we have such a lengthy fifth article that is truly a break-off of the fourth article, but we had to especially get into the role of good works in the Christian life, that all of them happen after justification and reconciliation. They are not the cause, they are the effect, because no matter how many good deeds you do, no matter what great, massive good works you can pile up, when you are laying on your deathbed, when you are sitting at rock bottom because you did something against God's law and you feel like you cannot be forgiven, those works are not going to help you. In fact, those will probably send you further into a spiral of despair. No, the only thing that helps you is that you are reconciled to God through faith in Christ alone. That is the only assurance that we have in this life of being a child of God. That we have the faith to believe that Jesus died for us. And that's where we're going to stop this week. Next week we'll pick up with some of the passages that the adversaries misuse. Which is a ton, which is why we have it broken up again. But... I also encourage you to be here for Pro Wrestling America on Wednesday, digging deeper in the Psalms as we get into Psalms 23 and 24 this week. We encourage, I encourage you to be here for all of that, for the moment's meditation, everything else that is going on, as I help you to wrestle with theology this week. Amen.